Here we go on Monday night, a Labor Day edition of Ira on Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. And Ira, a lot of people kind of phone it in around Labor Day, and you don't hear much, uh, you know, across sports, even with the NFL being just minutes and days away. But we're busy, and we're here doing this show, and we are ready to rock. And you have been busier than pretty much anybody I know. Where have you been? I've been at the U.S. Open like morning, noon, and night. I mean, that, <laughs> that's where you're going to find me. I, I show up there at 12 o'clock, and these matches last night, I left. I think I didn't get uh, back to my apartment until like 1.32 in the morning. So it's, uh, and uh, I'm going to back there today. I'm so excited. Um, we're, I'm just pumped for this. We are taping this show early so I can go to see Nadal TFO. I cannot wait for that match. I have an amazing seat, and I, I can't believe how I got it because. I mean, the story is, and I have so many U.S. Open stories, the story is is that everyone thought Nadal was going to play at night, and then the day matches were going to be as good. So the prices at the night were sky high, the day were low. Well, I keep checking where the schedule is, because I wasn't sure they were going to do that. And let lo and behold, he's scheduled for the day. I go in and I buy a ticket, like five rows from the court. And now that ticket that I paid, the money I paid for that ticket, you could get at the, at the top, the tippy top of the 25,000-seat stadium. That's how much you would pay for that ticket. And my ticket has gone up like 10 times. The only mistake I made was I should have probably bought every little t- every ticket I could have. <laughs> for that. I mean, and I kept thinking, they're going to change it. They're going to change it. But I'm so excited to see Nadal TFO tonight. And I love the Open. And I love this year that I was able to go to so many. I've been to 10 sessions i it's i encourage if you hate tennis if you hate it still go i I, i'm telling you everyone should go even you were watching tennis last night so that was good but i mean this is a great event and with serena and nadal and everyone else it's just been phenomenal you're right though and and tennis really has captivated the world right now and we'll talk about uh, serena williams here in just a minute but at some point Ira, we have to do a show just do the entire hour about how you get these tickets and teach people your tricks of the trade because it, you you do get these phenomenal pulls and I, one day we just have to talk all about that you can kind of follow along with ira though and maybe get some of his insight all across social media at ira on sports you can find him he keeps you updated he gets the best pictures that's where you're going to find him at ira on sports anywhere on social media the other thing captivating the world right now in addition to the u.s open ira is fantasy football. Everyone you know is posting their team. They're, everyone's excited, too. Whether I think their team's terrible or I think it's great, they're excited. But if you want to win your league, you need guys like Dr. Roto in your corner. You can follow him at drroto.com, and we have one of the best in the industry joining us at about 740. Yeah, I'm excited to have Dr. Roto on. Last year, maybe not as good. I mean, for years, uh, he's been ranked the number one fantasy group for a number of years, but I uh, cannot wait. It, not only does he give your, his opinion of where someone's going to be drafted, it's how he gives it. It's the, it's, the, it's the comedy with it, which I think makes it, so you, you know nothing about these players and who the Andre Swift is, you still like how he presents it, I think is fun. So I've always, I, he has a great radio show. Um, he's in Florida and Tampa, and he's also he's across the country, and I just, I'm so uh, thankful that he's come on our show a bunch of times yeah, one of the issues i find with people that are new to fantasy football is they think that you win your league in the first two rounds you can't win the league in the first two rounds you can lose it though but dr roto gives you picks that you can get later on and that's how you win your league by getting a guy in round 10 who outperforms guys that were drafted in round three and dr roto will join us shortly he's going to tell you how to win your fantasy league well ira we had mentioned we taped the show earlier in the day but if by some shocker American Francis Tiafo was able to upset Rafi Nadal at the match you were at today. We were going to come back and talk about it. We had to. Huge win for American men, and you were there. You just saw it. 
It was absolutely. I am still in the Ash Stadium right now. The match just ended, and the buzzing, everything. Francis TFO, an amazing, amazing performance. He won the first at 6-4. The dog comes back and won the second set 6-4. And then he won the third, and then the fourth. And he said the doll's going to turn this into a three-and-a-five-hour and five hour match. He's up 3-1. The doll was up 3-1 in the fourth. And TFO breaks back, breaks again, and finishes him off. Wins the last five games on the doll. Literally almost making the doll. I don't want to say the word quit, but actually did. I mean, the final game was, was I think, in, almost in love. We only won one point. Absolutely amazing game. TFO's serve was unbelievable. And he just played so hard. He's got in great shape. This is someone who three, four years ago could never play a match like this, but just has just improved and improved and improved. We talk about on the show who could be a number one player in the world. Francois TFO could definitely now be the number one player in the world. And Ira, we've had him on the show twice before. Really, you know, this is great for him, great for America. What's next for TFO going forward? Does he have a shot to win it all? He clearly has a shot to go to win it all. He's going to have. He's in a tough side of the draw. You know, he's going to. He certainly he's going to have to go against people like either Alcaraz or Sinner coming up. But I mean, every match is big. But you know, with a serve like he has, this, these courts play very, very fast. And you know, he has to play Rublik next. You know, it's funny. The person he has to play next is someone who I saw last year in uh, in five sets that he had he beat in our Ash Stadium. So it's it's you know. Look, he is just ready to go for this, and yes, he could easily he could win this tournament. I think the, I think what TFO at age uh, 23, what he has shown is just the improvements year after year, getting better, improving, and putting this all together. It is, I mean, he's seated in the 20s. He had a down year last year. COVID definitely caused problems, but he looks in tremendous shape. If he didn't get this thing with Kyrgyz. These two have got in tremendous physical shape. They're able to withstand this, but mentally it's probably bigger than physically. Mentally, he stayed in with Rafa Nadal. Just, I can't imagine that someone could stay with someone who had won 22 majors, and I give TFO a ton of credit. Okay, Ira, let's jump right into tennis. I, 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 I was so excited for Serena Williams, and the way she basically turned herself back into a media darling over the past week. Phenomenal performance and run by her, and you were there for it. Yeah, I mean, coming into this Open, the expectations were extremely low. She just played in Cincinnati and lost in the first round. Didn't look good. Looked slow. She, for the last number of years, she just has not had the move. She just hasn't played. She, she hasn't played matches between COVID. She didn't play during COVID with injuries. She's looked slow. Her serve has been inconsistent. They, the expectations were so low for her coming to this tournament that they planned the celebration after the first round match, <laughs> thinking that she's going to lose the match, and then we're going to have a big celebration. So that's why that first match on Monday night against Danka Kovins, against Montenegro, was going to be such a big event. Every star was out there. Everything was there. And out of nowhere, this is what things funny about Serena. She... She worked hard. She has been training. They've been training, training, training. And she's 40 years old. And suddenly she's looking, she looked better. These three rounds, she's looked better than she has in four or five years. And she lost her last five major championships. She has 23. She wants to get 24 to tie Margaret Court. She has not been able to uh, the last five, six years to be able to do that. If she was in, played like this, I think she would have won one of those other majors. Um, I said the first Monday night, it was surreal. Again, 30,000 people in a 25,000 seat arena. Um, the ticket prices were through the roof. Everything, everything was crazy. And she came out, uh, the first she was up 2-0, then she trailed 3-2. And you're like, okay, well, she's going to lose. And then she started, it's the serve. It's her serve. 
serve is is still unreturnable. It's still the best serve in the game, and she's 40 years old, but it's her movement. You, she is still fast and quick. She, she's you know, heavier than she used to be, but in terms of you look at her when she was like 18, 19, 20 years old, but – uh, the point is, I mean, to think that in 1999, US, you know, she, she, uh, she you know, debuted at the U.S. Open and won 26 years ago. It's just still playing out, just simply amazing. Um, and then the point is, then she goes for the second round. She plays the number two seed, Annette Contavy. And Annette has never really advanced much in the tournament. It's being number two seed. It was like one of those. That's what I say about the seeds. They're totally, uh, you win some little tournaments that no one's ever heard of. But she hasn't been playing well. She's from Estonia. But she actually was the perfect player to go against uh, Serena because she's just a hard hitter. Pounding the ball, pounding the ball, pounding the ball. And it just fed right into Serena. And that was a great match. I mean, 7-6 the first set. That first set, I think, lasted like an hour and a half. Back and forth, back and forth. And then Serena ended up losing the second set 6-2. I thought, okay, she's done. She's out of breath. And you're like, she's older. She's 14 years older than, than Annette. And comes back in the second set and just third set and dominates uh, and wins 6-2. Uh, just setting up. I mean, just one of those things where, and again, after every match, I mean, there was controversy. They are announcing, like Simba said, if she's not, like she should be, because she wears seeds, wear and everything, she should be announced first, not last. They shouldn't have, but no one cared. Like, I, like, this was all about her. And she, and usually they alternate like day, night, when they, they like she said, night one, first on Monday, should have been a day on Wednesday. They put her at night both times. And then on Thursday, they put her in doubles. <laughs> The first time they've ever had doubles at night, but they're just trying to get ratings. I mean, that's what they should have been doing from, you know, whatever. And, and it just was, it, that excitement was tremendous. And that led into the third round match Friday night. And like, I just could not wait for this. She played Alta Tomlakovich, who again, like Donka, these other players, people are not now. I know Annette was the number two seed, but it was surreal to see these players that are totally not script. She's not playing like bigger name players that you would have that seen in the public eye. And suddenly 25,000 people are rooting against them and they're out there trying to play. You know, it's not <laughs> like the fans are booing and after everything and they're not mean. But even though, like, if you get a double fault, they cheer. You're not supposed to do that. But, and there were a lot of fans that didn't even know. I mean, I couldn't believe when I'm in the stands how many people just came out to Serena that didn't even know how to score tennis, didn't even know the rules, didn't know anything, even though uh, Kyrgios last night didn't know the rules either. And he's a <laughs> multi-zillionaire playing tennis. But, um, but it was just that was what was so great to be at this match in terms of everything. And she plays Alta Zanovich, who is, I think, more famous for dating her ex-boyfriend was Kyrgios and Matteo Berrettini, who's also still in the, uh, um, uh, in the tournament and one of the top players from Italy. Uh, and she actually, I would say this because she actually did a show on tennis you know, on dating. So <laughs> it was interesting. But Alta is so, she's 26 years old, 27 years old, runs around the court, very athletic, everything. And uh, and the first set, you know, she was able to, she was up five, Serena was up five three in the in the first set 30 30 and uh, blows it and Alta won four straight games make it seven five that second set it goes to a tiebreaker Serena was up four oh blows it goes to a tiebreaker you think she's gonna lose the tiebreaker and whenever you say like it's match point it's not match point she said she's gonna retire it's career point it's like those wrestling <laughs> matches if you lose your career is over like it's like that's how big somebody was thinking she's played hundreds of thousands of points i don't know if a million points in her career like this would be her last point so she wins the tiebreaker in the second set 
And then in the third set, it just she just did not have it. And that's where Annette was up 5-1. But even at 5-1, what was so exciting was that she just uh, she would refuse to give in. It's like everyone's waiting for the match to be over, and she saved the thing with six match points. It's like she did not want her career to end. And uh, then it's over, and they have more celebrations, and everyone's talking, and, and they have the video display, and Tiger Woods, you know, all the celebrities in her box, from Tiger Woods to Russell Wilson to Sierra. I mean, it was, it was pretty – it was exciting. It was an event. It was very New Yorkish. I'm glad she ended in New York. As I said, I went to, I went to Compton, California, a month ago just to go look at the courts she played at, and I have to say, to come from that environment and the, where the environment is and where she's learning how to play, and then to, to, and to think that her competition is going to IMG academies and to country clubs and to this academy, and to think of competition around the world is playing at all these major academies and places and stuff, and the fact that Richard Williams took Venus and Serena there, and I remember one of the comments people said, the criticism of her was that, oh, she has too much outside interest. She's never going to play log. Well, she's 40 years old, and she's fiery out there. She wants to win. Venus is 42. They have this passion. I mean, that's when you look at Brady, people make comments. They love tennis. And as someone who loves tennis, I love, I don't know if two people love tennis more than those two, Venus and Serena. And of course, she has outside interest and she's made money. But now, like, everybody has outside interest and they make money. She set the standard for how to go and do all those things. And it certainly did affect her game. Our criticism on Iron Sports has been the players that take more of the outside interest are more important than the playing interest. So, but I just thought that was uh, that was tremendous, and then you know that re- leads up to it. Just all, all you know, I, I hate to get into the goat debate because they keep saying she's the goat, she's the goat, she's the goat, and I she clearly is either one, to me one or two, and I'm going to tire with Steffi Graf because Steffi Graf has won 22 titles, she won the Grand Slam, and over a 21 period, uh, over a 10 year period, she won uh, the 36 majors. She had 21 wins and eight finals in 36 majors. Serena never had that level of dominance. Graf retired when she was 30 years old. So I think it's like, but, you know, again, if they played in their prime, I just think it's a great match. So I do think it's Serena and Graf, but um, she, I don't think, no, honestly, I don't think she should retire. Like she, she said, if I would have started training earlier, I would have won this tournament. And I believe her. She looked great compared to Cincinnati just a few weeks ago and, and the work she put in and just everything. And I just love her passion for the game. Now, you know, one of the things people said is that her daughter uh, doesn't like her playing. She, and she doesn't enjoy, you know, doesn't like her playing. Whereas someone like Djokovic and uh, his son loves playing. So that's going to keep him in. We talk about LeBron and Tiger Woods and that aspect. And, uh, but it, it's a shame, you know, she, she, she played great. She really did. I was, I, I thought she was going to easily get destroyed the first round against anybody, but she came in there, played phenomenal, captivated everyone. People I know that never watched tennis are watching her. So uh, just really enjoyed. She just added so much to the open and certainly to the ticket. They have set attendance records every single day from the matches at Ash and also the whole grounds thing. And you can't even go. Like when she was practicing on the practice course, people were like, <laughs> I was getting, we're like, it was a stampede of trying to watch her. It was like people were crawling under the stands to see just a little view of her. And so many kids were out there. And she's inspiring people to play tennis. And that's great too. Everything about it has been tremendous. This is Ira on Sports, Drew Oldie's channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. If you want to live vicariously through Ira, and let's be honest, we all do. Follow him across social media at Ira on Sports. So one of my favorite parts of the show, I is hearing about your experiences because there's always some stuff that comes up that I'm just like, I had no idea that that would be the scenario. T- tell us about you at the Open. First of all, 
I, 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 I always, at, at one o'clock in the morning, I'm always thinking, there's nobody here, take an Uber home. It, you, it is always a disaster. The Uber line and Lyft line is the most incompetent line there in the world. There could be nobody. Just take the subway. It's the subway is the greatest way to get back. They have this thing called the Super Express. You jump on the subway, you're back in 15, 20 minutes, which is normally don't stop at 30 different stops. That's my one other thing. I also found a little trick. So there, if you go in line, there's the security is just so backs up so much. And they, and it, but if there's a line to go to the box office, but the security line isn't that there's never a line. If you just go to the box office and just don't even buy a ticket, but just walk through, then you avoid like 15, 20 minutes of like standing in line, which I thought is great. I have never seen so much food in a, anywhere. If you go to this tournament and you say you're hungry, you're crazy. Also, I think people must be gaining someone like me. I mean, it's not like golf where you're walking around the place. You can, you can, I mean, I go 10 days. There is food everywhere. There might be 150 places uh, to eat. There's fancy restaurants. There's just places outside. What people don't understand is that at the open, the Ash Stadium is the main stadium. That's what you see on TV a lot. There's 25,000 seats. Next to the Armstrong Stadium, which is like 12,000 seats. And there's a grandstand, which is maybe about six, 7,000 seats that's around, which I love. And then there's a couple other shows. But there's another 15 courts. The first two days, there's 128 players playing and went in the men and women's field. So they have to play 64 matches each day. So there's tons of courts active. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's good to go to the, the, all the other courts. Get there early during the day. Watch the courts. They'll have light everything like that then friday saturday it goes monday to the first round uh wednesday thursday second round then friday saturday is the third round where then they start using less courts and now we're at the point where they're just using um ash and armstrong so people say oh, i'm going to go to the open i'm going to go uh this starting today labor day well you're not going to walk around and see all these other courts there's doubles and other things but you can literally go out and see the top players in the world i was saw outside the outdoor courts rubler was like six and i saw her she was seven like just in small courts you could like go to a high school uh, uh, tennis match and not have a good enough seat that you could have and be that close to the action because you're just walking in little stands next to these things, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, what, uh, the other thing I thought was cool this year, I tried to go to with the practice courts more to see Nadal. They really, I mean, there's no two event I've been to where you actually can watch. They tell you when Nadal is going to practice. You can watch, you know, like a thousand people can watch Nadal practice, which is pretty cool. Uh, what's another good, exciting thing? Uh, I like the fact there's a restaurant called Benjamin's, which is in the ash. So you can go to the matches, then go over like a nice sit down steak meal. But you don't have to leave the stadium, just go to the stadium and go back to your seat. And the stupid thing I made on Saturday was that they don't check your ticket again. So I was at the day session, went there, idiotically bought a ticket, then went back up to the night session, but then went check my ticket. I could have, and then I didn't like my seat, so I just walked around and found empty seats. But I didn't really have to pay for a ticket at all. But um, it was the ass is hard for the ass stadium down below the suites. That's where the great, great seats are. And that's where we're going to be for an adult TFO. And I haven't sat there. Ten sessions, I've been in the, the 100 level, which is above the suites. And then a couple matches, I've been at the 300. I don't like the 300 level, a lot of the seats, because first of all, they're super high. And also, if you're sitting low in the 300, they have so much like how they put the, the railings and everything. You're always blocked by things. But uh, I've taken great pictures of my run sports. I love those things. It's been, it's just great to go there and see uh, the matches and, and get just awesome shots of Venus. I mean, of Serena and of the Doll and last night's match against Medvedev, Kyrgyz, uh, just and I know all the players, so I know where to go and see. We know what the good matches are, so I've, I've really enjoyed this this week. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. And if you want to win your fantasy league, about 20 minutes from now, the doctor himself, Dr. Roto, joins us, gives you all the tips and insight you need to be the champion of your league this year. Let's keep it with the U.S. Open, Ira. 
Start back from the beginning. Monday, you were there, ready to go. You've been there every single day. Let's start at the top. Well, I got a little late start on Monday. So I only went to the night session. So I saw Serena, and then I saw Kyrgyz play Tomakakis, who is his best friend, who actually was in his box. The, the, the Kyrgyz box is hilarious. First of all, Mike, I think that we should go and interview some people that were in these boxes because these <laughs> players now, if, you go, if you're going to say, oh, I'm going to go in a player box, like Daniel Collins is all the same thing. You don't go there and sit. You're not on your phone. You're not, like, getting food. Like, if you're not standing up when they get a point, he's yelling at them. I was behind the Kyrgyz box, and he literally, like, could you please stand up? Why are you, where's the enthusiasm? Like, he is screaming in his box. It's usually the coach yelling at the player. He's yelling at his coaches. He's yelling, like, if someone just invites you to go, you're asking. You're like, no, I'm going to. I mean, but Daniel Collins did the same thing. Now, like, Medvedev's box has his coach and his manager and nobody else. No one else is in his box. But it was, like, one of those thing that is just crazy and the one thing about this tournament is the seating is totally messed up Kyrgyz was seated like 23rd he's the third favorite to win the tournament he was the finalist at Wimbledon the thing is that they did count the points to Wimbledon because uh, the Russian players were banned from Wimbledon so they didn't count the points for the seating so that doesn't count then you don't have Djokovic in because Djokovic in the tournament because he's not vaccinated between the Russian and Ukrainian war and the vaccinations and the fact that the seating in tennis is screwed up in perfect world because they give credit to tournaments that no one's ever heard of winning tournaments to tell that a net person can be number two in the world by winning nothing tournaments. That's what is the whole seating is messed up. So it's just that happens. But so Kyrgyz played after Serena though, Serena played every time she played and then the next match was like, nobody was there. <laughs> so Kyrgyz played Tomakakis and there was maybe like, you know, a thousand people in the stands because it's late. Like Serena played a long match and people don't want to stay so long. But, uh, uh, the, on Monday, I, I'm going to just focus on a couple of things. American men, which I've been so disappointed with in this tournament. I was hoping this is the type of tournament the American men should play well. They play in hard courts. The Europeans do not play in hard courts. The fans are all behind them. And they're, I just, they're good. The American men are good. I just am waiting for one to break out. Now, maybe TFO does that with the doll. And if he does, if TFO makes it, we're going to go back live after the thing and talk about TFO being the doll. But he's the last American left. Taylor Fritz, first round, loses to Brandon Holt. Brandon Holt was a qualifier. Brandon Holt was Tracy Austin's son. I mean, out of nowhere, Taylor Fritz, who everyone thought was going to make it to the semifinals, the quarterfinals, at least loses. Tommy Paul won. Sebastian Corda won. Uh, is sisters are the two best golfers in the world. And J.J. Wolf had a, had a win over Batista, which was a good win. But then Blake Shelton, who we know from Florida, who was the Florida top Florida player who played well in Cincinnati, he lost in a tough five-set match. But he is very good. Like a 19-year-old player is going to be great. Uh, Big-name players in the first round. Jan Marwinka, who's won this tournament a couple times, he lost. Dominic Thiem won it a few years ago. He lost in the first round. But they've been dealing with injuries. But the big, 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 big super loss was Titsipas. To me, most talented player. He is everything. He and Kyrgyz are the most talented. He's 6'6", can serve, lights out, run around the court faster than anyone. His head is just not there. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what basketball player we can compare him to, uh, but he just does not – he just he lost the first round to someone he should totally destroy. And uh, it's just again and again, us in these majors, you're just waiting for him to do something because he has all the talent in the world, can win these other tournaments that no one – you know, the smaller tournaments. But in the big majors and the five-set matches, he just goes down. And then the American women, Coco Goff won, Keys won, Risk won, Shelby Rogers won. Uh, so it was a good first day for them. And then what's all happened in the women, a lot of the top seeds kept losing. 
number seven Sahala, Selena, Simona Halep lost. So that's what, why the women's field was so open, which still gives a great chance to, for American women who made four in the final 16 to advance. Maybe James Harden he could be a player. You, you know, Talent in the world can score from anywhere, but just seems like his head's not there half the time. I don't know if that's the, no, the comparison that we could give. I'm telling you, I, I keep telling people about Tizafas. I've been talking about him. I've seen him live so many times. I, 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 he's Kyrgyz out there. He literally is. He's just he's faster than everybody. He is. He flies around the court. His his ground strokes are amazing. He has every tool that you want from a player. There is no weakness in his game except his mind. I, his points are stupid. He'll he'll hit the dumbest points. He'll play the dumbest thing. Kyrgyz does the same. You know I, that's why I'm never. I'm, I, look, someday Tizafas might wake up. He's still 23 years old, and he'll be like Kyrgyz, and then he'll just win the U.S. Open and just dominate. But it's just I just don't know what he's just. Is just mentally, he's yelling at his dad. He's, he's coaches him. He's yelling at his box, and he just looks like a, he just doesn't have it. But I, I thought he was a favorite to win this, and he loses the first round. So you're listening to Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget at Iron Sports. Find him anywhere on social media. You can find him at the U.S. Open for the past week, and he's going to continue there. Let's talk about what happened on Tuesday. Well, I got to watch Nadal and Emma practice. Emma Rancano, who upset, was, went from qualifying to win last year. And I saw her cosplay. That's where during the days on Tuesday was fun, just to walk around outside. And then I went inside and saw Nadal beat Ricky Hajaka. Ricky is from North, went to play in North Carolina. It was great to see all these North Carolina. Michael, I'm sure Michael Jordan was watching this match. He's from Australia. First set, you know, I saw it like last year when someone took a set off Djokovic. He won the first set 6-4, and you thought, oh, my gosh, the world's coming down. He's jumping up and down. He's he even got so excited that after then Nadal looked at him, he apologized for jumping up and down. Like, he's like, oh, I, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. Don't be mad at me. And then he won 6-2, say, then Nadal won the final three sets. The match of the day was Daniel Collins from America versus Naomi Osaka. Those two are the hardest hitters. There was going to be no finesse in this match. They pounded it. That first set, 7-6, Collins won. And then the, set, and the interesting thing, the sideline, is that Osaka has destroyed Collins three straight matches. And Collins came in and won 7-6, 6-3. We know Osaka, two-time winner of the tournament, has just not played well this year, back in form. And, uh, but Collins has been injured also. She was seeded 18. To see Collins versus Osaka, which talent-wise could be a finals match. That's how good both these players are on our courts. And they both played well. I was, it was one of the most exciting matches I've seen the whole time. Uh, TFO advanced. He won that day. Brandon Nakashima had a nice win for Americans. Give me an American. Chris Eubanks, another young American, had a win. And Jensen Brooksby had a good win. So Americans were winning in the early rounds, but you're just saying, where's gonna, who's going to be the number one player? I don't want number, you know, top 20 American players. Who's going to break out? And they're all young players. John Isner, who has been playing forever, he won, but in the match he broke his wrist, so then he had to withdraw. Uh, uh, Sam Query, who's been great for America for years, he lost and then retired, so he retired from tennis. And Steve Johnson, who has been playing forever also, who's had some good runs at this tournament, he lost. And Jack Stock, uh, I was up 2-0 in sets and uh, then got injured, and he, and he had to retire for the match. And American women, Pagula won, Davis won, Sloan Stevens, former champion, wins. But Venus ended up losing. But, you know, she says she's not retiring. I mean, she's very gracious in her thing. She's not retiring. But then, you know, Sophia Kennan, who has been one of the top three or four players in the world, she of America, she lost. Uh, Taylor Townsend, who's played well here, lost. And Amanda Asanova, uh, who's played great here, also lost. So he had some American losers. And then Emma, who the defending champion in the first round, 
I wasn't expecting much of her, but she lost easily 6-3, 6-3 in the first round. So that was – people – she's had a tough year since that. You know, she's going to drop from being one of the top players in the world to, like, say, 80 because all her points were, like, this tournament, and then she lost all those things. And then uh, just moved real fast to Wednesday. I saw Serena play, as we talked about that. And then I saw – after she was done, Medvedev played this guy, Arthur Richenbach, and he won 6-2, 7-5, That match ended at 130. There might have been 100 people in the stands. Like, there was nobody <laughs> at this match, and Medvedev was just – like it is unbelievable how you went from Serena at twenty five thousand to the same stadium a few hours later, nobody's there. Um, Paul in the for American men's Tommy Paul won about against Corda. They had two Americans, and then Holt who had the upset uh, uh, Fritz earlier that he lost in five sets. Uh, big name players. I was going to mention Andy Murray won. Andy Murray is like one of these superstar players. Won multiple majors considered in the big four and had hip surgery. And it's just amazing that he's back playing and he's getting, you know, winning rounds in the tournament. So, you know, he has all the skill level. I just don't think athletically he's going to be able to be tippy top player. And then FAA, uh, Felix Alex Alassane, who last year made it to the semifinals, he lost in the first round. He lost in the second round, which is crazy. In 4-4-4 four, 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 to a, a player he should destroy. Um, but American women did great. You know, Shelby Rogers won, Risk won, Coco wins again, Keys wins. Um, and then the women's side, uh, the number three seed, Maria Sakari, uh, she lost. And then Layla Hernandez, the woman that was uh, the woman, Layla, who lost to Emma in the finals last year, she's knocked out. So the two finalists, and she's young, she's 19 years old from Canada, great young player. So is Emma. But the two finalists were out by Wednesday that made it the finals the next year. And then on uh, Thursday, I just I got there late and I tried to. It was so crowded you couldn't even see matches on Thursday. It was like I said it's a waste wow. of day. And also I went to rush back to see Penn State game, but I did see a good doubles match. The Coco played with Bagula against Layla, and I got some great pictures, great shots. And so that's really the only match I saw that day. And uh, for American, they had another good day. TFO won, Nakashima won, and Jensen Brooksby upset Bernard Quirk. Uh So like I'm like okay, boy, Americans are really doing you know super well. Oh, bad thing, Hubert Herkosh had on iron sports he lost uh number eight seed so i was not happy about that but then the american women uh, uh venus and serena lost in doubles that night that was a big big night but pagula won collins won uh and uh laura davis uh also won to so beat a number 28 seed but uh and then on uh, on uh on friday I saw Serena. That's the Friday night was the crazy Serena Tomjong match. And then afterwards, Medvedev played this guy, Yabing Wu from China. And there was nobody there for that match except for people rooting for Wu. And they kept screaming Wu the whole time. Medvedev was so upset. He would, they would just scream and he would just keep playing. It was, it was a mess. And I think the, the couple of matches I saw, for, I saw Kyrgyz and Medvedev both play late. I think it messed them up. I think playing so late, uh, especially Medvedev, not curious if he played on Monday, but on Wednesday and Friday, it's just, it was a surreal environment. And I just, I think that hurt him for, for Friday for, I mean, for last night, cause I don't think he played well, but, uh, uh, in the men's side, Tommy Paul lost for Americans. J.J. Wolf, Kyrgyz destroyed J.J. Wolf. Uh, and but the, and then in the American women's side, Risk won and Coco Goff beat Madison Keys. But I guess the uh, I'm going to jump to Saturday. Uh, one of the best days I've ever had at, at the event. I, I, I saw five matches. I was there 12 to 2 in the morning. Uh, Bagula from America, to, to see her again today, played a great match and won. Alcaraz, I haven't seen him play live yet and I did his number three seed from Spain 19 year old look he played Brooksby and I'm waiting for Brooksby to this is your chance upset Alcaraz play well play terrible Josh destroyed nothing in Brooksby's game showed me he's gonna be a top player then I got to see Nadal play Gasquet at night 
which was destroyed. Desgall has beat Gasquet 17 times. It's almost like Aaron Rodgers and the uh, Chicago Bears. And then Daniel <laughs> Collins destroyed, uh, beat Cornette. And then I went over at like one in the morning and saw Sinnerwind, Jakob Sinner from Spain, from Italy, uh, who again, switched his coaches a few months ago. And now with a new coach, you think, well, can coaches make curiously even have a coach and made a big difference. He looked great. Uh, but, uh, and then on Sunday, the match of the day, the match of everything was Kyrgyz Medvedev. Uh, I saw, um, it was just, I had been waiting for this match for when they made the draw. Kyrgyz had beat Medvedev three times out of four, just beat him in Canada. Medvedev came up with a strategy of standing in the, like right where the baseline was. He always stands far back. So I'm going to change it up. He could, first set, seven, six. Each one went to a tiebreaker. Each one had five set points. 13-11, Kyrgyz won. He tried a job shot. And you're waiting for Kyrgyz to explode, yell at the fans, yell at someone. He stayed calm almost the entire match. The only time he got upset was that that service clock, they started early, and he was yelling. He goes, I'm the fastest player. Like, why are you starting a service clock on me? But it wasn't, like, crazy. But he did have a moment in the second set where he hit the ball against the backstop really hard. Like, they just devolved Djokovic because it hit a linesman. But it missed by, like, a foot going in the stands. If it went in the stands, he would have been default of the match. He would have hit somebody. I would think that he would have been defaulted. But uh, the second set, he comes up and he doesn't play well. He loses. It's 5-1 and you're like, he's just throwing away the set. Medvedev's in control. But then Medvedev gives up two games, like plays poorly and makes it 6-3 and then everyone's excited. Okay, all psyched. Third and fourth sets, it's 1-1. It's going to be an epic five-set match. And all Kyrgyz did was totally destroy Medvedev. Medvedev could not get his – Medvedev is one of the best serve in the game. He just kept getting broken. Kyrgyz was returning his serves, killing it off the serves, literally making Kyrgyz look, Medvedev look like, a, like you playing tennis. I mean, it was just that <laughs> bad in terms of his serve. And on his serve, Kyrgyz was just serving aces the entire time. And Medvedev's a great return. Just, he could stand up and back or whatever. And the two sets were over very quickly. I just – this is the Kyrgyz that people have been talking about for years. This is whatever. And, and then the other, the, even the one moment in the third set where Medvedev hit the ball, oh, Kyrgyz hit the ball to Medvedev. Medvedev hit the ball's back. The ball was like in the air on Medvedev's side. It's not going over. Kyrgyz runs around the umpire and hits the ball. And, and he thought he was allowed to do it, which they're not allowed. Like, it was crazy that he thought he was allowed, and he lost the point. Of that course. was bizarre. And he would have won the point anyway. And people thought Medvedev should have given the point. And then he's like, stands there confused. Normally, that would have set him off. He's gone crazy. He ended up break, you know, it didn't matter. It's like he was giving points to Medvedev. The number one player in the world, the defending champion, the best hardcore player alive. And he's just giving him points and saying, ah, who cares? You know, I'm going to still beat you. So it was like amazing performance. Kyrgyz is definitely on uh, to the, you know, he's, I, I can't see him not getting to the finals at all. He'll play tomorrow again, but he should, he should easily get to the finals. And then in the, in the uh, other side of the draw, it's going to come down to between Alcaraz and Sinner. Uh, going to be two great 19, 20-year-old players, Spain and Italy. Uh, the winner of that will probably play Nadal, and then, uh, and then the winner of that will play uh, Kyrgyz for the championship on Sunday. And on the women's side, Pagula is still in there, Collins in there, Goff is still in there from Americans. Uh, it's, it, everybody sort of has a chance. This could be American. You could have an all-American final. But I think my takeaway from the tournament is I was just hoping that an American man would get to, like, I thought they could make a run. They had so many, 20-some entrants. Like, one-fifth of the field was American men, and, and it's just only TFO is the last one standing. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We got Dr. Roto coming up in just a minute, but we got to talk some college football here. And Ira, I'm the first to admit, I, 
I, I get lost in college football during the during the NFL season. Once it you know starts wrapping up, I get super involved again. But I'm dialed in on the week before the NFL comes in, and it wasn't the greatest week. You were disappointed in Penn State despite a win, but this was a really exciting Saturday of football, and I was happy to you know spend my entire day on the couch. I'm telling you, so that people in New York don't like Aaron Boone as their manager. Jeff Brom, the coach of Purdue, showed the world how to lose a football game. <laughs> I, I just don't know how Penn State won the game. They, the play calling at the end of the Penn State-Purdue game was so poor. They had Penn State was sort of like Penn State decided they uh, – Sean Clifford, the quarterback for Penn State, who's the eighth year. He's been there eight, nine, ten years. I, it's been there. I think he was started when Paterno was there. He's been through uh, Bill O'Brien, James Franklin. He's been quarterback forever. He throws a pick six. They're up down 20-24. Purdue gets the ball two times and just, like, throws stupid – every play is stupid. Even at the end of the first half when they're up 10-7, they're cruising along. They make a stupid play. The, the play calling, the announcer was like, I'm very perplexed. Perplexed? They were crazy. Uh, Penn State <laughs> ended up having this great drive. But Clifford, for all his faults, led them down 35-31, which I love that score. That was when the Steelers beat in the Super Bowl thirteen. the Cowboys that won the greatest Super Bowl I've ever seen. But um, that was like my first big game that I remember <laughs> that I watched. But 35-31 over Purdue in Purdue. Uh, to have a game, a Big Ten game like that, in early in the season is great. And that's as that game, I went to a Penn State bar called the Mercury Bar in New York. As that game's going on, the West Virginia Pitt, West Virginia's beating Pitt. Pitt scored the touchdown. They get the pick six. And then West Virginia, like the Tennessee Titans, because the Rams had a chance to win the game, and they they lost on the one foot line really where they count where they didn't count count a pass. So both in within a minute, big Western Pennsylvania schools, Penn State and Pitt had these huge wins on Thursday night out of nowhere. But that was uh, that was the, my Thursday night start to the day to the college football weekend. So let's talk about it. Might have been the premier matchup of the day, seeing Notre Dame face Ohio State, and the lines came out on this one, Ira, and it was. I, I, I don't know if you want to call it like disappointing, but it was definitely, uh, you know, fodder for the locker room that Notre Dame was, you know, supposed to lose by like 15 points here. And we ended up seeing a much better game than that, despite the final score not being as close as we would have liked. Well, I want to say something. Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, I mean, they play great, and I give Notre Dame a ton of credit. They're going, and I give Ohio State credit for scheduling a game like this. Like, we want games like this. I don't want it. This week is terrible. Watch the games this week. They're all going to be horrendous. Alabama, Texas is the only big game. The point is, they came to Notre Dame, first meeting since 1996. They're up 10-7 at halftime. I didn't see the first half, but then I went out to go watching the matches, the Dadal match, and then I ran up and watched in the hallway trying to get on my phone. It was clear to get on the concourse to watch it. But, oh, this is what I'm going to say about Ohio State. Their defense really stepped up in that second half. I mean, it was, they had, and then their offensive line, they had 14-play, 95-yard drive. They went to a long touchdown drive in the third quarter, long touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame punted their last six, six possessions. C.J. Stroud, Heisman Trophy, NFL number one pick worthy, 223 yards, two touchdowns, and he lost his top wide receiver to Jinja Smith. But the key to this story is this. I'm not saying this is it because you've seen Ohio State's defense be a total mess. But their defense, they bring in a guy from Oklahoma State. They look like a different team on defense. And I loved how they ran the ball and pushed them around on offense. They didn't, you know, they just didn't rely on their athleticism. So everyone is saying, oh, look at Ohio State. They didn't win by 18. They only won 21-10. The game was tough. I take, if I'm a Ohio State fan, I take a lot out of this. Because to beat Alabama, to beat Georgia, you're not winning with crazy trick plays and this and this. You saw what happened when they played Alabama two years ago and the Orange Bowl was there at that game. They got pushed around. 
if they're going to beat Alabama or Georgia for the national title, and that's really the only goal they should have besides Michigan and winning the Big Ten title, everything, those things, if they're going to beat them, they have to be strong on the offensive defense lines. They look much improved. So, Ira, uh, big news came out this past week that the college football playoff is going to expand. We don't know if that's going to be 2024, 2026. We've been proponents on this show, though, and everyone wants more football. But do we want to see blowouts, especially in what's supposed to be a playoff format? And then you look at a game like number 11 Oregon playing number three Georgia, and it was not close ever. This was an absolute blowout of what's supposed to be two top 12 teams. I don't think we need expansion here, and it's clear that the top two, three, four teams in the league are way better than the teams ranked at 10, 11, 12, and I think we saw that on display. Yeah, I mean, again, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State just look miles ahead of everyone. I mean, I wasn't sold on Georgia this year. They lost their entire defense. Did you, did you, we talked about the NFL draft. Did you hear? Like, every single player said <laughs> Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. It's like only Georgia players were allowed to be drafted. Now, they they look amazing. And Oregon comes in, top team, comes down. I know they played in Atlanta. They played in the Mercedes Dome, all that other thing. They come in. And Stetson Bennett is returns at quarterback. They throw for 370 yards. Now, look, at this is a Georgia team that oh, last year all they did was run the ball. So now if they can pass the ball and they can run the ball and their defense is great, I think it'd be Alabama. I mean, again, I was shocked. This is a mid- I, I never saw this happening. I, I thought it would take a while. Georgia's defense, could, they could not be the defense they were last year, the defense that stopped Alabama, the defense that crushed everyone during the entire year. Um, but, wow, what a win. And, again, it's it, as we, your first comment was my first comment, too, is like, if this is what – that's why when they want to have the expanded playoffs, these top teams are just going to – just. We're not going to see good games. They're not going to make Oregon better just by playing. You can put 30 teams in. Unless you're going to put the star players from all the teams together against Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, they're going to blow everybody out. That would be a much more interesting format, Ira. Form super teams and try to play the top three. So this is another reason why it's on display. And I'll preface this by saying I have a lot of Florida Gators fans, of course, here in South Florida. They were all saying last year Emory Jones is not good. And we should be playing Anthony Richardson. They call him T-Rich. He was a young player. Emory Jones was a junior. And they, you know, seniority reasons is why Emory was on the field. We got to see Anthony Richardson. And this is the guy that they should have been starting last year. It's become obvious now. But now you're seeing, you know, if, if they go to the format, like they're saying, with six conference champions, six top conference champions versus six at-large teams, Five of the six at-large teams are going to be SEC teams, and we could see the fifth-best team in the SEC, like a Florida, beat a team like Utah like we did uh, this weekend. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Florida was going to win this game. Utah last year looked terrible in the Rose Bowl. I, I thought they were highly seeded seven. I mean, Oregon, the Pac-10, <laughs> so cool. I mean, these are, if these were auditions, if Oregon's audition, but that was an audition to go to the Big Ten, they failed their audition. Let's like, you know, come back next year. Because <laughs> they're, they're supposed to go in like USC and UCLA in the Big Ten, perhaps. Uh, Anthony Richardson looked great. Billy Napier, maybe you found your coach now. It's one, you know, one game. Napier could win 11 and lose one, but the way that Florida fans treat their coaches. But the fact is, that was a big win. Putting the ball, Richardson threw for 160 yards, but he ran 106 for yards, three touchdowns. Uh, nice, you know, that, that, again, huge advantage of Florida. But again, Florida was unranked going into the year, and I think they're clearly they're going to be ranked now. But uh, they didn't want to lose that game. And I think to win that game, uh, and also the scheduling, I got Utah credit. Like, 
flying across the country playing Florida in September. Crazy, but that a great win for Florida. I run sports, true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Dr. Roto is going to win your fantasy league for you here in just about two minutes. But let's run through some of these games, Ira. I was kind of surprised. I turned on the Alabama game. And it was The first quarter was almost over, and it wasn't 50 to nothing. But that ended up being the final. Well, Alabama went 55 nothing, but the fact is Bryce Young, again, the same thing. Five touchdowns, five carries, you know, at 500 yards rushing. Uh, just tremendous performance, Going to trying to go for back-to-back Heisman Trophy wins. But they're getting ready for Texas for next week. The game of the week is Alabama at Texas, Saban at Sarkeesian. Let's see what happens with that. But Bama, look, that's what, I just love watching them play. And then Arkansas beat Cincinnati. I saw Arkansas beat Penn State in the Tampa last year at the bowl game. I thought they were really good, and this was a good win for them. K.J. Jefferson is real. He's like Anthony Richardson in terms of uh, he played great. Uh, his passes, runs, can't take down. He's 6'3", 250 uh, pounds as a quarterback. Uh, USC destroyed Rice. The story about that, Lincoln Riley, coach at USC, everything's changed around. The program now is cool, back to being cool. Will Ferrell, all the celebrities, everything. And their quarterback, Caldwell Williams, that he took from Oklahoma. Uh, I like USC. I'm, I'm starting to get feel that USC could be that fourth team uh, with the big three into the college football playoffs. Florida State wins on a blocked extra point over against LSU, spoiling Brian Kelly's first uh, uh, first game for LSU. Uh, what other, and the other big thing is for next week, I said Bama, Texas. Tennessee at Pitt, not really a lot of good games. A lot of teams playing, but not a lot of good games. I say Bama, Texas, and Tennessee Pitt are the two big games. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Time to bring in Dr. Roto. You know him from this show. We've had him on before. He's our resident fantasy guru. You can follow him online at Dr. Roto. Also get to his website, drroto.com. Dr. Roto, thank you so much for joining us today. And, and I'll start off with the question that might win your fantasy league for you. So, We've seen this in years past, and last year, Cooper Cup was a guy that you could get in the third, possibly fourth round of your draft that might have won the entire league for you. He was phenomenal. Do you have a player that you're looking for this year in that range, that third, fourth, maybe even fifth round that you think is going to well overperform their draft slot and maybe propel your team to the top? Yeah, I think two names come to mind. First is Cortland Sutton from the Denver Broncos. I mean, he's never had a quarterback like Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is going to be throwing the ball there. Nathaniel Hackett's the new coach. And uh, they're not going to be running the ball that much. I mean, they have Javante Williams, sure, and they have Melvin Gordon. But Sutton and Jerry Judy are weapons that Wilson can really use downfield. And I know that he's making a tremendous connection with Sutton in training camp. So I think he's one. I think DJ Moore is another one. Don't laugh, but Baker Mayfield may be the best quarterback that DJ Moore has played with. (laughs) I will laugh, but it's true. (laughs) It's true. I mean, Sam Newton's horrible. I mean, uh, Sam Darnold's horrible. P.J. Walker's horrible. So, I mean, Baker Mayfield has a lot of reasons to play well. So, I mean, I'm looking at at D.J. Moore as a 90-target, maybe 100-target, 1,000-yard, six, seven-touchdown kind of guy, which I think if you can get those guys in rounds three and four, you are really making out at your draft. So, it's interesting you bring up – you know, Nathaniel Hackett and a totally new offensive scenario in Denver. I think we have the same thing happening in Minnesota. And people can knock Kirk Cousins for his lack of performance, you know, in big primetime games. But last year through like 11 weeks of fantasy, he was one of the top five quarterbacks. What's your outlook on Kirk Cousins now going into a system that actually wants to cater to Kirk Cousins as opposed to just running the ball? Are you high on him or more high than you would be normally? Yeah, so let's just say this. 
Mike Zimmer was running a prehistoric offense. I think it was like the Tyrannosaurus Rex there, other dinosaurs. And at halftime, you would see Kirk Cousins going like 16 for 20 for 220 yards and two touchdowns, right? And the end of the game, he'd be going 18 for 22 for 222 yards and two touchdowns. And you're like, what happened there? Kevin O'Connell is going to run a dynamic offense. He knows Kirk Cousins from back in the days in Washington. He's been the coordinator for Matt Stafford in, in, with the Rams. This team's offense is going to be fantastic. So let me just say this with Cousins. The two quarterbacks that I have the most shares of, and I'm in 25 leagues, guys. Crazy, right? 25 leagues. I would think my quarterbacks are either Lamar Jackson or Kirk Cousins in about 22 of them. That's how committed I am to those two guys. So, Justin Jefferson, I've taken number one overall a couple of times. I love Adam Thielen. And don't forget a guy named K.J. Osborne who will be out there as their third receiver. And should Thielen or Jefferson get hurt, Osborne's a legitimate number one or number two receiver on, on a team. So I really like the Vikings this year. And Kirk Cousins finishing top three in touchdown passes wouldn't shock me at all. We're speaking with Dr. Roto. You want to win your fantasy league? Go to drroto.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Roto. So one of the things that scares me, Dr. Roto, is people changing scenarios, totally new systems, new quarterbacks. And we're going to see more of that this year with wide receivers than I can ever remember. A lot of wide receivers in new places. Devontae Adams, Hollywood Brown, A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson. How do you grade a guy who you've never seen in a system before with a new quarterback. What's your thoughts on guys like this? Well, you know, so look, I think people are worried about Devontae Adams. Maybe he loses 10% of, of what he had in the past with Rodgers. But look, he's like BFF with Derek Carr. So, I mean, I don't see a, a regression there. Allen Robinson played with Blake Bortles and Mitch <laughs> Trubisky. Now you go to a Super Bowl winning quarterback and Matthew Stafford. Thank you. Yes, please. Uh, the Tennessee Titans didn't like throwing the ball much either. Now they're going on offense with Jalen Hurts where he's the featured guy and he's going to have opportunities. So I think the question is more this. Are guys going to better situations or worse situations? All the guys you named are going to better situations. It's guys like Robert Woods, right, who go from Matthew Stafford to Ryan Tannehill. That's a situation you want to stay away from because that's a big downgrade. You mentioned the Tennessee Titans and – one of the stalwarts of fantasy running backs has been Derrick Henry for years. And I see Derrick Henry dropping in a lot of drafts. I, I see him going at the end of the first round. What's your thoughts on Derrick Henry? He's getting older, but is he still a guy you can trust at the top of your draft to you know take you to the, the, the running back paradise that we want? So, look, there are three major types of leagues. There's standard leagues, there's half-point PPR leagues, and there's PPR leagues. PPR stands for point per reception. In a standard league where there's no point per reception, Derrick Henry's still a top five player. In a half point PPR, I'd argue he's still a top five, seven point you know, player. But in a PPR format, he just doesn't catch enough passes anymore. And Ryan Tannehill, sadly, seeing ghosts from last year's playoff game where he was a, a train wreck <laughs> out there, guys. So now you don't have A.J. Brown. Ryan Tannehill seeing ghosts. So if you're the opposing defensive coordinator, are you not stacking the box with eight guys to stop Derrick Henry? Because you're not really worried about Robert Woods and Traylon Burks on the outside. I know I am. So that's why smart players are saying Derrick Henry's good. He's not great in fantasy this year. So you mentioned Traylon Burks. And so what are you looking at as as a forecast for these rookie wide receivers? It seems like oftentimes... 85, 90% of them really don't do much in their first year. 
who's some rookie wide receivers that we can target, especially they always go a little bit later than than they should, that might be able to, you know, significantly help your fantasy team? Right. I mean, there's not too many Odell Beckhams and Jamar Chases out there, right? I mean, those guys, you can count them on a hand. So this year, I do like Burks. Uh, I do like Drake London. I do like Chris Olave. I have a lot of them on my teams. Uh, I don't have any Garrett Wilson. Why? Because I think the Jets have Elijah Moore. I think the Jets, you know, have some issues for like they've always had for years. But I think my number one guys out of that group, I like Olave uh, a lot. I think he's a very talented receiver. And I think he's in a situation where he doesn't need to be the featured guy, right? Because you have Michael Thomas there. You have Jarvis Landry there. So I think with Olave, I'm looking at about 55 or 60 catches. I like Drake London. I just don't like the offense that much. Do I think he gets about 55 or 60 catches? I do. My favorite may actually be Traylon Burks because I think he's a serious mismatch because other teams, number one quarterback, are going to be covering Robert Woods. So Burks, especially against Giants in week one, Giants are terrible on the back end. Are you <laughs> telling me that Burks is not bigger, faster, stronger, whatever, than the Giants secondary? He is. Don't be shocked to see him catch 80 yards and a touchdown in week one. Dr. Roto's joining us here on Iron Sports. Win your fantasy league at drroto.com. Follow him on Twitter at Dr. Roto. One final thing before I turn this over to Ira. So I keep seeing people within one quarterback leagues kind of being a little weird about this. And, you know, um, I don't think my backup quarterback's good enough. What kind of stock do you put into backup quarterbacks and things like this in a one quarterback league? Do you forego it for other skill position players or do you put some stock in, hey, I do need a backup to Justin Herbert or, you know, Lamar Jackson? So to me, it all depends on how many rounds your league has in your draft. I play in both 16 round drafts and 20 round drafts. If I'm in a 16 round draft, I carry one quarterback only. Okay, one, because I'm going to pound the receivers and pound the uh, the running backs. I want six receivers, six running backs, one tight end, one quarterback. That's all I want. In a 20-round draft, I may take a second. But I think the biggest rookie mistake, I was doing a high-stakes draft yesterday, guys. Somebody took, I think it was Kyler Murray in round eight, and then they took Aaron Rodgers in 10. (laughs) What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I mean, that's literally dumb fantasy football, and I hate using that word. But, I mean, it's just like, you know, I took Kirk Cousins, I think, in 10, and I took Jameis Winston in 18, right? So why do I need Aaron Rodgers? Am I, I mean, is, so if you have Kyler Murray, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Justin Herbert, go get a Matt Ryan, go get a Jameis Winston at the end of your draft. Go and get, if you take like a Trey Lance or a Derek Carr, it feels to me like you're wasting a pick because that's when you could be getting a sleeper. Right, Get your sleeper running back in round 13 or 14. Don't be taking your second quarterback. Ira, what do you have for Dr. Roto? Um, just a couple questions. First of all is the Dolphins. I mean, I don't think there's a team that people talk about more than, and the name is Tua, Tua, Tua. What's he going to do? How all is he going to happen? And what's going to happen with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell? And where are you picking those, or where, you, where would you pick those two wide receivers in the, next, in the draft? So I'm going to do something here called backwards design, okay? If I think that Tyreek Hill is going to catch, you know, 1,000 yards, and I think Jalen Waddell could have, you know, close to 1,000 yards, and I think Jasicki could have close to 600 yards, how is Tua going to be bad, right? We all all don't (laughs) like Tua, but at the same time, if you like all these other skill players, somebody, and it ain't going to be Teddy Bridgewater, is going to get them to that point, right? So I think two is severely undervalued. Now, what I really like about the Dolphins, I'm going to give them a compliment, and then I'm going to tell you why you want to avoid them in fantasy. I love Mike McDaniel. 
I really do. I think this guy's insightful, and he has been under Kyle Shanahan, who is the best play caller in the NFL. He's brought over Chase Edmonds. He's brought over Mostert. I love that as a running game there. Uh, I like the. I love Tyree Kill. I love Waddle and Jasicki's fine. And Cedric Wilson was a good pickup from the Cowboys. Now here's the problem: in fantasy football, we thrive on consistency, right? We thrive on Jalen Waddle last year getting eight or nine catches for 90 yards every week. But now with Tyreek there, some weeks Tyreek is going to have the big week. Some weeks Waddle's going to have the big week. Some weeks they're going to run the ball. I don't think you know from week to week who's going to be that star. And that's the problem in fantasy. So what I'm saying to everybody is this. If your league has a playoff spot for total points, like it doesn't at the end of the season, if you're one of the teams who has like the six most points in your league and you can get into the playoffs, then I like those guys. But if you're in a straight league where it's only done by record, you may have some weeks where Waddle and or Hill disappoint you because one of them is going four for 45 while the other one's going 10 for 120 and two touchdowns. That's the problem. And what about Jacksonville this year? I mean, we're Florida centric because our season here is in Florida, but last year was a complete mess. But are you looking for Trevor Lawrence to step up? Are you looking like someone like Travis Etienne on that team? I see him going much higher than, than I mean, I expect, I don't know, but the point is that where do you see Jacksonville this year? Yeah. So look, Urban Meyer was a complete mess. And if you do any reading on what happened there, it was just an embarrassment. Maybe the worst coaching hire in the history of football. I and mean, that's, that's pretty big to say, right? <laughs> I love Trevor Lawrence this year. I do. I think he's too talented to fail. Travis Etienne, I was taking the third round of drafts. He's been pushed up to round two in many high-stakes leagues, but I really like him. I love Christian Kirk. I don't like what they paid Christian Kirk. They overpaid him, but he's a solid receiver. I'll give you a guy that nobody's talking about. Zay Jones, they paid this dude $8 million a year, and he's their third receiver there now. I think he's sneaky. And if Evan Engram can actually learn how to catch a football, he's going to have opportunities too. So, And plus, take a look at that Jacksonville defense. It has gotten better every year. That pass rush has improved. The linebacking core is really good. Ola Kuhn has come over from the Falcons, and he's a tackling machine. I just think that there's something good happening in Jacksonville. It may take another year, but keep your eyeballs on the Jaguars. They're pretty interesting. And then with running backs, it seems like the running backs get hurt last year. J.K. Dobbins drafted early, injured, and they get more. It's almost you feel like you want to draft wide receivers early enough because they don't get injured as much. But then that leaves you in the later rounds to pick running backs. And then there are some good calls for running backs. Some running backs have come out of nowhere, really, and play well. What are those running backs in those later rounds where you say, wow, they, they potentially could have a great year? Well, look, especially in PPR formats, I love Niam Hines. I think he's going to have a ton of catches for the Colts. A guy who I've gotten, so I told you I'm in 25 leagues, I think I have him in 22, is Rashad White. Rashad White is going to be the backup for Leonard Fournette, and Leonard Fournette always misses games. This guy, Rashad White, you take a look at him. He's special. He's a special talent. I like him. I like Tyler Algier for the Atlanta Falcons. I think he emerges as a number one running back for them within the first four weeks. I like James Cook from Buffalo. I mean, this is Dalvin Cook's brother, and he's really, really fast. Khalil Herbert, another guy. I think he's honestly better than David Montgomery. So, but you can't have five of those guys on your team. You can probably have two of those guys on your team. But let me say this. You've got to have one good running back in the first three rounds. If you don't, it's going to be really hard to win this year. The uh, where on a, from a quarterback perspective, well, let's go talk PPR leagues those, in, in terms of where would you – is it, are you picking, you said you're picking Lamar Jackson, 
uh, early and not early. You're picking him as your quarterback. Where are you picking him? Are you going to go second round, third round, Mahomes no. and Allen? And are they worth it that early? No, no, no. I, I never, never, never do that. I mean, never, there's never a time I take a quarterback that early. So I'll tell you this. I will look at Lamar Jackson in round six. I will look at Kirk Cousins ideally in about rounds nine or ten. I want Cousins if I can't get Lamar. So I start looking at the draft board, and I look to see how many teams have quarterbacks at that point. And so then I know when I have to pull Cousins because if there's two teams who are drafting after me that don't have a quarterback, I can't wait all those picks to, to lose him. So Jackson in six, Cousins in nine or ten, if I, you know, or Derek Carr is another one I'm eyeing in that, those rounds. Those are the three guys I want to come home with this year. And in terms of the top-tier running backs, the Jonathan Taylors for the Colts, the Christian McCaffrey's for Carolina, not even Najee Harris at Pittsburgh, Dalvin Cook, Minnesota, where do you rank them in the order of the top like four or five running backs? Well, look, I'm taking Christian McCaffrey number one overall. I know that sounds shocking to a lot of people. I'm not taking Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I believe that McCaffrey, just think of it this way, guys. If he never had a rushing yard, if he just caught out of the backfield, he'd probably be a top 10, top 12 running back just from receiving yards and receptions. So now we have the rushing yards to that. Everybody's worried about the injuries. He's never been on an operating table. He's just had tissue injuries. Never been on an operating table. Still like McCaffrey. I like Taylor just fine. I want no part of Najee Harris this year. I don't like guys with foot injuries before the season starts with bad quarterbacks and bad offensive lines. I will give you two guys I really like. I really like DeAndre Swift, and I really love Saquon Barkley. Okay, Swift is running behind a terrific offensive line, and the skill players there are much better in Detroit. And Saquon, I believe in Brian Dable. I believe in Mike Kafka. They have nobody else there. Daniel Jones sucks. He can throw the ball about three <laughs> yards to Saquon. That's just a, that's by, fine by me. Saquon will go seven for 60, receiving every week, probably run for another 60 or 80 every week, and I'll be very happy to have him in my lineup. Dr. Roto, I, not only do I like your, I love your opinions and I love how you present them, and uh, I encourage everyone to go to drroto.com to get prepared. I know there's, be, there's drafts. There's some, some of my friends have drafts every single night of this week coming up to Thursday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But uh, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. You got it. Good luck this season, guys. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We got to talk baseball, Ira, and it's kind of being overshadowed by everything else that's going on. But if you haven't been paying attention, it's time to start panicking in New York. I, I know the Yankees won yesterday over Tampa, but this team, outside of Aaron Judge, can't hit a lick. And if you're a Mets fan, their offense has dwindled as well. I think it's time to start pushing the panic button. Yeah, well, the Yankees, people thought they're talking about Subway World Series. Yankees now, their lead, which was seemed like 100, is down to five over Tampa. Toronto, uh, Tampa is five, Toronto is six. Uh, Judge has 53 home runs. I don't know why they again Tampa like first inning home run. Like why are they not pitching? You're right. Him? Uh, he should have Barry Bonds treatment hitting. right now. Don't throw the ball to him. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally correct. But it, I think the, the big advantage of this is for the American League is Houston. Houston looks like the best team by far in the American League. I would be shocked if Houston doesn't make the World Series. Like if if, if the, the Yankees want to implode and somehow lose the division, but just play so poorly, and it just shows. Again, people say, is Brian Cashman done? Is Aaron Boone done? Well, Aaron Boone would be done, but Brian Cashman seems like he could do no nothing and still keep his job. So let's um, switch over to the NBA. And you were super high on Cleveland last year. Not that you thought they were going to win the championship, but like this is a good foundation. This is a good young team that I'm excited to watch every night. I got to tell you, Ira, I'm on the bandwagon now, too. Big trade over the weekend, and I think Cleveland is just going to be one of these teams now. 
talk about a solid core, and I'm just excited to watch. Besides Kevin Durant, the name that everyone's talking about for months has been Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was a superstar player for Utah. He was, he fell like what thirteenth in the draft. I felt for his most of his career, he's been way underrated. He's tremendous. I step all late two in the morning, watch Utah play. He's been tremendous. Uh, his, his superstar in the league, all star. I felt he became overrated in this whole. People thought, oh, they go come come to the Knicks. He's the star. He'll lead in promised land. The Knicks couldn't make the trade. The Knicks really couldn't figure out what, how to make this trade with the draft picks, with everything. And, but everyone still thought he, he's from New York. His, his, uh, uh, they just felt like it was set that he was going to be coming to New York, that that's where he wanted to play. Now, to nowhere, Cleveland comes in and makes this trade. I love this trade. Supposedly, Donovich was on the golf course and started running around how excited he was because they didn't give up anyone. They have Mobley, who is a great young player. Jared Allen, another center. So they have the height. Then they have, uh, and then they have, of course, Kevin Love. But they have Levert. They have players. But the key is Darius Garland. Darius Garland is this emerging superstar guard who will be the best player on the team. Don Mitchell right now is probably the best player. But in a year or two, Don, Darius Garland is going to be John Morant. He is going to be the superstar on this team. And Mitchell is going to be a great number two. This team is loaded. I love this trade. This trade is great. It is amazing for Cleveland. And I love Cleveland, that trade. And for the Knicks, I, 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 a lot of my Knicks fans are like, you know, I'm not saying Mitchell was going to make the difference, but I don't like this Knicks team. I think they're the second worst team. I think the only team better than them is, is, is they're better than is Orlando. I think this could be a terrible year for the Knicks. But I'm here in New York, and everyone's excited for the year. We got Jalen Brunson, and we got R.J. Barrett, who they gave us. I'm like, give two backup point guards that, that you think are, are great. So I, I'm just not sold on the Knicks at all. A terrible year for the Knicks. You could have said that before the last 30 years and I would have completely bought in as a Knicks fan things not looking good and and they were offering a lot to get Donovan Mitchell they would have been they would have depleted their team to get him it would have been one of those situations where we talk about a quarterback getting traded for five first round picks and then the team's bad you know no surprise there you can have your opinions on live whether you like it or not but you got to face the facts and the stats the I think it's the last 24 majors 16 have been won by live players Dustin Johnson gets a win and not only got a win, he won on the Indian Eagle and a playoff hole, which is which is so exciting over Yaki Neiman. So I think that's the comment is that when the Liv is playing and you're seeing, well, Dustin Johnson's winning over Yaki Neiman. People know these names; they're, they're they're the best players in the game. And then you look at some of the PGA tours when you're going to have names that people don't know, and he wins this and that. That's where I think I wish I could have seen this on TV. I mean, that, again, the TV contract is going to mean I mean everything for Liv, but uh, they just keep you know Cam Smith. When you look at the leaderboard of a Liv event, you see you know everybody's the top 20 are all names so people just say we're going to ignore it we're going to ignore it you can't ignore the fact that all the golfers are playing on the live tour no you can and i I saw a a really interesting tweet i can't remember the guy's name brandon chambers maybe who said my lifelong goal of being the number one aussie on the pga tour is about to come true because (laughs) all the good aussies are heading to live uh let's talk a little racing here before we wrap it up well, Formula One was the Netherlands Grand Prix, and I'll tell you what, people love Ferrari. They think Ferrari is the greatest, and, and the car, I love the color of the car, and they, this year they've had fast cars, and the name Ferrari, you could go to your local gas station and, and say, I need to put tires on. They know that they got to put four tires on. Ferrari's car went into the pits. They put three tires on the car. 
three. They have a pit crew of 20 people. They, they forgot that you need four tires on. And then they had another, they had a gun to put the tires on. They left it on the track and another driver ran over it and they got penalized for that. Then they took the car one later in the race. They set their car out. And as the car's pulling out, another car was coming in. No one looked to see, hey, don't pull out the gas station and someone crashed. Unbelievable. <laughs> what Ferrari has done to this season is incompetence to no end. And Verstappen and Red Bull, just they go on and win. And then they, the only the criticism was that Verstappen was a able to the Mercedes said the only we're going to win is stop one time let everyone else win let's change our strategy but when there were accidents in the race it hurt them and then Hamilton was 56 laps uh, like 20 to go stayed out and Russell his teammate was behind him but Russell said I don't want to run on these tires he went into the pit put Verstappen behind Hamilton and Hamilton's like whoa whoa this wasn't the plan I needed someone to block me to help me win and Verstappen went up past Hamilton Hamilton ended up finishing in fourth Verstappen was first and uh, Leclerc and uh, it, in terms of, of winning another race. And he just sees it's over. Seven races to go. He has a 110-point lead on Leclerc. And Hamilton hasn't won a race in 16 times. But uh, it was just, I think the, the, the Keystone cop mentality, or I don't know what to say about Ferrari, about not being able to put tires. They literally have three tires out there, and someone's like, wait, we need a fourth. I thought that was hilarious. And then in NASCAR, uh, we had Kyle Petty on last week, and I think we're good luck for the Petty team because uh, <laughs> Eric Jones was the first win in like eight years for Petty Enterprises. He ran number 43 Petty to win the, the win in, in Darlington. So I think, again, good luck. with Look, we have uh, Tyler Gooch was leading uh, Live Golf. Uh, and we have TFO playing the U.S. Open, and now the Petty team gets a win. You come on Iron Sports, good things happen to you. It, it, it's definitely a trickle-down effect. Thank you so much to Dr. Roto who joined us. We might be able to lead you to the promised land, just like we have uh, so many others here on this show. What's the plan for this week, Ira? I, I know we you know, we pre-taped this show before the Nadal match. Um, so what, what are you doing? Obviously, you're going to be there, but what, what's the plan for the weekend? Well, I'm going to be U.S. Open all week, probably Penn State game on Saturday, and then come back for the men's final on Sunday, uh, and not go to NFL game on Sunday, but certainly watch those. But they have the, the men's final is going to be on Sunday. So I'll probably go to the men's final on Sunday and Penn State game on Saturday and, go, and, and tennis all throughout the week. We are out of time. Thank you to Dr. Roto. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.